Good Hello. afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Castro welcome, welcome. Files. How you doing, honey? I'm great. How about you? I'm I love the little switch well. up in spots. You asked for it. I know. It changes I delivered. It up a little bit. I, I like switch it. it up. But the only problem is this. Now I'm looking at... Directly at Peter? Producer Peter. Yeah. Off camera. And it's going to be harder to keep my stuff together. Oh, well. It's going to be fun, though. It'll be fun. So if you see me fall apart, it's because Peter's looking at me. Making faces? Making fun of me, okay. generally speaking. But with that... Go out, like, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you don't mind, out on the Castro Files. Go out, hit up the iTunes and Spotify channels and give us a little thumbs up Find on the, the Bar is Open yes. with Beth and Greg. So everything that we do is posted under the Bar is Open with Beth and Greg. That's our, kind of like our main channel uh, for, it's more of an adult show, but whatever, all of our other shows go out there. Yes. I have to give a little shout out. We've got a buddy in the room. He's hanging out over there in the corner. It's Captain. It's Peter's Captain. dog. You'll see a picture pop up right about over here. Somewhere-ish. Somewhere. And with that. I'm about to tell a story. Are you going to tell a witchy story? It's, uh, I'm excited. It's, so, wait, what did thank I you guys. I hit the wrong. It's a haunting tale of the Wicked Witch of Monroe, Connecticut. And I got this story on a site called Cemetery Insights and Beyond. Right. Um, so it's really cool. I heard her come up on a TV show and she piqued my interest. So I oh, did really? a little, yeah, I did a little homework and found her. <clears throat> so without Very further cool. ado. Without further ado. Don't touch my stuff. Um, situated <laughs> around the bend from the waste transfer station shared by the towns of Trumbull and Monroe is a small graveyard known as Gray Four Corners. The old burial ground, which would easily escape notice if it were not for the lore associated with it. Nestled on a steep embankment beneath a parcel of trees, the graveyard seems dark even on the brightest of days. A rusty chain link fence surrounds the three sides of Gregory Four Corners, which we're putting up a picture right now that is of the um, sign okay. for the thing. Nice. Um while the side running along an embankment overlooks the main road is unprotected. So that's where that picture was at. Okay. Um, the grounds are accessible only to the modern visitor who dared to enter on foot. There, it seems beyond reason as to why anyone would designate such a steep embankment to be the only accessible entrance. Most likely, the embankment was not the original entrance, as it would have been difficult for funeral processions to bring a coffin to that grave that way. The, su the, su the southeast corner sits at the top of the hill against a backdrop of dense woods. The headstones, in vary, the headstones vary in size and composition. The oldest section houses a row of graves marked by a crude fieldstone and intermittently dispersed colonial era headstones of slate and brownstone. That's a lot of words. It is. Many are broken and sinking into the ground. The center area of the ground supports only a handful of legible white marble headstones from the 1800s. The majority of the epitaphs have eroded and sent the identities of the dead into the oblivion. In general, there seems to be nothing extraordinary, extraordinary about this old little New England graveyard. In fact, Gregory Four Corners would be undistinguished if it were not for the grave of Hannah Crana Hovey. And now we're showing you a picture, and that is actually her headstone right next to uh, the original picture. But this is a clear picture of her headstone. Okay. Uh, the crazy thing is, is that 
She sits um, on the edge of the embankment near the road. Her headstone is dated from the mid-1800s, but clearly looks newer than it should. At first glance, it seems like it does not belong where it is. It is so close to the embankment that you have to wonder how the gravestone was dug without a problem. The top of the stone is always covered with tokens left behind by those who visit the grave. Trinkets and flowers are also left to adorn the base of the headstone. We recently learned this when we did our ghost tour. Mm -hmm. It is widely thought that if you leave a gift to appease Hannah's spirit, she will grant you the good fortune and you desire and not follow you home, which is what we learned. If you guys remember last week, they leave tokens on some of those headstones at the grave we were at so that the ghosts don't follow. All right. So real quick, little background. We went and this will be a quick, the quick little add on later on coming up is we went and did a ghost Ghost tour tour. around San Antonio. Right, and we literally left a couple of rocks because sometimes other people steal the money. Like sometimes it would be like a nickel yeah. or a quarter or a dime or right. something like that. You would leave on top. So in lieu of that, people are leaving. Well, that's stones. what they do here. So yeah, um, Hannah's headstone is modest, unadorned by elaborate willow tree motifs and cherubs that so fashionably express grief and mourning during the Victorian era. Her epitaph is equally modest. The words simply read. Read Hannah Crana, wife of Captain Joseph Hovey, 1783 to 1859 or 60. I guess they weren't sure exactly. 1859? Mm-hmm. Okay. She lived a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. The headstone and its simple wording does not measure the magnitude of Hannah's stature in the supernatural lore of Monroe and Trumbull. If you grew up in either of these towns, in all likelihood, you have heard of the legend of Hannah Crana so many times that you know it by heart. Hannah's story is told each year at a special Halloween, Halloween event in the area, featured in local newspapers, accounted in books on Connecticut folklore, and explored in the articles of the New England Historical Society website. More than a century and a half after her death, Hannah Crana Hovey remains well known as the Wicked Witch of Monroe, Connecticut. Hannah Crana Hovey. Talk of local lore often include Hannah's story alongside of several others. Um, They have one that's called like the melon head of Velvet Street and Trumbull and the mysterious faceless people who haunted an old Victorian mansion that once stood in Monroe. Okay. So there's a bunch. Yeah. It's that town is got some weird things. Right. And it says such ghostly tales have been around for years. So in the 1980s, the lore was especially popular among local youth who just learned to drive on the bravest of drivers who dared to travel to the past, these places or abominations were said to be haunted. The signpost erected by the Trumbull Park Commission stands behind Hannah's grave, and it dates Gregory Four Corners back to 1761, more than half a century after the infamous witch trials ended in Connecticut. Certainly, by the 1800s, people were learning to approach life in a more logical way and should not have been so quick to blame their misfortune on witches. Mm -hmm. Yet... The events of the Connecticut witch trials left a lasting impression on everyone's minds. The hysterical ends, the hysteria ended, but people were still ready to blame their misfortune on those who behaved contrary to the norm. Yeah. By all accounts, Hannah was a solitary figure that many considered a social outcast in her later years. Sorry. Uh, So there was, so there on the edge of the embankment lies a modest looking headstone belonging to an old woman who went to her grave with the reputation of being a witch. So she was born sometime in 1783. Um, okay. I'm sorry, born sometime in 1783. Hannah's reputation as a witch supposedly began with the death of her husband, Captain Joseph Hovey. 
when Joseph's body was found under the outcropping of a cliff, the townsfolks of Old Monroe began to whisper that Hannah had put a spell on him. Many presumed that it was Hannah's bewitchment that set Joseph off for a walk one morning in a state of a stupor that led him to fall to the cliff, led him, led him to fall from the cliff to his death. Following her husband's demise, Anna lived in solitude with her old rooster, Old Boreas. Old Boreas must have been a very charismatic rooster because Hannah adored him enough to name him after a powerful and mythological god. Borealis was the purple-winged Greek god of the north wind and winter. And now we have a picture of her <laughs> rooster. There we go. Okay. It's a big black cock right there, so... Even in the eyes of the 18th century Christians, naming your pet rooster after a pagan god and living alone on the top of a hillside in the middle of a wooded area teeming with wildlife was probably not the best way of keeping yourself from seeming like a practicing witch. Hannah lived her own life with that rooster. Old Borealis appearance and behavior only helped reinforce the belief that he was Hannah's familiar uh, it was and said that's what the rooster is real quick. The familiar. Yes. yes. So in the is, 1800s, witches were thought to have familiars and they were usually animals because the spirit could take in anything. The animal could be a gecko. It could, could take in the animal dog. and then it could be with its witch. A cock. So his handsome plumage of ebony feathers were as dark as moonless sky. And many people still superstitiously believe the color black signified the power of darkness. The belief that every witch had a familiar is one that dates back to centuries before the infamous Salem trials. And like I said, familiars were thought to be demonic spirits that assumed the shape of an animal in order to serve a witch. Um, let's see. As the website Wiccan Magic points out, people thought that every witch had a familiar during the New England witch hysteria and animals who formed a close bond with humans were believed to be a witch's familiar. And now you'll see a picture of uh, it's a it's a rendition of what they think it would be like a witch feeding her familiar. So she's okay. got a group of familiars so around her. There we go. Oh, yeah. OK. <clears throat> Aside, so she's feeding all the roosters. Or no, that, that's not her. That's just a, that's a picture right, of somebody yeah, no, feeding yeah. their familiars. Aside from close attachment to a person, these animals were characteristically mischievous or lively. Boreas was renowned for having both of these characters. Okay. Instead of crowing at the break of dawn, old Boreas, Boreas preferred to crow precisely at midnight, an hour of the night known as the witching hour, the first three hours of the period during the first three hour period during which the powers of darkness were intensified. Dating back to ancient times, the hours spanning from midnight to 3 a.m. have always uh, been marked okay. by a high amount of supernatural activity. During this time, a strong connection between the light of the living world and the invisible realm of the paranormal was and still is thought to occur. Mm -hmm. Witch hunters believe that satanic rituals were performed during these hours because the ability to communicate with diabolical forces would as it was at its strongest. Also, <clears throat> people during the 1800s superstitiously believed that roosters who crowed at any hour after sunset were communicating dire news from the supernatural realm, usually foretelling of someone's death to the community. Yeesh. No matter which ear of belief was turned to the sound of Old Borealis's midnight crowing, the sound was never welcomed with glee. Old Boreas's crowing scared the wits out of the superstitious townspeople. 
And uh, now there's a picture of Hannah herself. Okay. So another rendition of what they think she may have looked like. Of course, Hannah's disposition was also under the close scrutiny of the community. No doubt her cantankerous personality only made her seem even more witch-like to those who encountered her. She knew what people thought of her, and she used their superstitious beliefs to her advantage. Widowed and old, she was most powerful in her ability to intimidate neighbors into giving her basic necessities such as food and firewood. She cursed those who lacked generosity or disregarded her wishes. One tale tells of a young man who decided to fish for trout in a stream that ran along the back of Hannah's property on Craigley Hill. When Hannah approached the fisherman, she demanded that he leave her property, but he refused. Infuriated that he would disrespect her request, Hannah shook her cane at him and at the mm-hmm. trespasser shouted, may, curse, may curses fall upon you and your fishing. Still, he goffed her and continued to fish. Yet, from that point on, the young man's fishing skills took a turn for the worst, or maybe it was his luck that went bad, but he never caught another fish in his life. I was hoping he got eaten by a, like a trout, Shut up. something like that, like just like a, a salmon <laughs> bites his winky off or something. Honey, I'm just saying. There is also a story that tells of a farm wife who was renowned for her delicious pies she baked. One morning, the wind carried the pie's aroma towards Hannah's home, and she went to the women, woman's door to ask for a fresh baked pie. The farm wife offered Hannah one of the smaller pies. Mm -hmm. Hannah chided the woman for being too selfish to offer her one of the more generous sized pies. You selfish woman, you may never bake another pie in your life, Hannah cursed her. The farm wife never cooked another pie. (laughs) But Hannah was not always casting bad spells on her neighbors. One summer, a severe drought devastated the farming community of Monroe. Desperate for some solutions, one of the farmers called upon Hannah to use her powers to summon an end to it all. Hannah is famously said to have promised, by sundown on morrow, your wish shall be granted. Mother Nature bowed to Hannah's promise, and by the next day, a drenching rain arrived to quench the the thirsty ground. Sometime in late December of 1859, Old Boreas died. Griff-stricken, Hannah made a final resting spot of her beloved pet... What did I say? Griff. Oh, grief Grief stricken. Okay. Hannah made a final resting spot of her beloved pet in the exact center of her garden. It is said that she buried him beneath the stars that night after performing a bizarre funeral service. Uh Uh-oh. Perhaps she wrapped the dead rooster in cloth, lit candles, and held an offering of flowers up to the moon. Many people said that the only time Hannah ever cried was on the occasion of this rooster's death. Now I will soon depart this life, Hannah said. Most people believed that she was stating the obvious. The death of her familiar was a sign that her old demise was at hand. Hmm. Whether it was supernatural at work or not, the loss of old of the old rooster did indeed foretell of Hannah's death. In the weeks that followed, many said that Hannah's fiery spirit seemed to fade. When the week after Christmas arrived with a fierce freeze and heavy snow, the frail-looking Hannah rarely went far from home. As the Monroe Historical Society tells the story, a neighbor decided to check on her well-being when he overheard a low wailing coming from her house. Okay. Pale and weakened, Hannah allowed him into her home and told him that the spirits of the great beyond were calling her to her grave. She then gave him instructions for her burial. Hannah knew that her own death was near, and after living most of her life as a feared outcast, she wanted to assure herself a dignified burial. All right. I mean, as do most people, right? Right. Yeah. 
I must not be buried until after sundown, and there must be ample barriers to carry my, me to my gravesite, Hannah told the neighbor. To these instructions, she, she infamously added, my wishes must be followed, or trouble and vexation shall fall upon you. Oh, she's holding... Oh, that's awesome. Local lore claims that she was found dead in the doorway to her home the next morning. Not one version of the story can account for who found her. Perhaps the caring neighbor returned to check on her and discovered her fallen body. However, exactly when he found her is not known either. We can safely assume it was possible that Hannah's death was not discovered until weeks later. Her death date <laughs> is of uncertainty. That's why it says 59-60, because they don't know. She could have been there for six months. Well, some she supposedly died sometime between January, uh, December and January. So December oh, 59 just over the year. or January I 60. follow. Okay, yeah. cool, 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 cool. I gotcha. Uh, the custom of pallbearers served more than just the functional purpose of delivering the deceased to the graveyard. In an article about funeral etiquette and customs, the website Opposing Views points out that by carrying the coffin, they, the pallbearers, honor and serve the deceased one last time. As was customary, the pallbearers would need to carry Hannah's coffin above their shoulders from her home at the summit of Craigley Hill and across town to Gregory Four Corner Burial Grounds. You don't have it yet, but you will have a picture of the trail that they actually had to follow. Okay. Um, dropping the coffin or having another sort of disruption during the, pr pr the process was not only disrespectful, but also believed to attract the wrath of evil spirits. The journey was under five miles, but bringing Hannah's body to its final resting place in the winter involved a treacherous walk over the hillside of Monroe. In order to carry her without peril, a, a, peril, a sufficient number of parabolic all bears, wow, that word's hard, was essential. Okay. By all accounts, Hannah was buried in the winter. And since all versions of her story are in agreement of the weather condition, it is reasonable to believe it happened then. True, sometimes the dead were stored in a shed or an outbuilding if the ground was not thawed. I was going to say, ground's too hard, yeah. right? However, in some small New England communities, such as Monroe, it was customary to prepare a gravesite before the ground froze, should there be the need for a burial during the winter. Mm -hmm. Kind of weird. You um, just dig a bunch of holes. Yeah, but you're just leaving them, which is kind of like foreboding. It's New England. I guess. Stone slabs then would be placed over the empty grave until the need arose so that it would not get filled with snow and dirt. Yep. We can assume that this might be not the case weird. with Hannah's gra gravestone. I wonder if they still do that. Like, I grew up in New Hampshire. I think most people know that. But I'm kind of curious. I don't know. I don't know. They have better tools now than they used to. I'm like, yeah, but they have forks. I mean, we got backhoes, backhoes, yeah. like where they can dig it. Can they dig? I mean, you're not hand digging that shit. No, but stuff, you're not hand digging that hole. What's your language? <laughs> Being poor and without family. Even PG 13 movies get an F word every now and then, honey. Being poor and without family and his funeral procession must have lacked pomp and frills. As was customary, her neighbors probably tended to her body and arranged the uh, burial procession and that they followed the usual custom the pallbearers carried her body in its coffin feet first out the door in her book a guide to cemetery research sharon de bartolo carmack explains that there were two reasons for this first it was symbolic of the life's journey for the deceased to be carried be carried out feet first since the person is born into the world head first secondly it was believed that if a corpse left the house head first the dead person's spirit could entice the living to follow them into the grave you're perplexed hold on to it <laughs> i'm thinking through these things okay go ahead. on the afternoon that hannah's body was carried for its burial the town of monroe was covered in snow 
practically overtook the men who were serving as her pallbearers. They decided it would be too tiring to carry Hannah over the turbulent hillside to Gregory Four Corners by hand. So putting their own needs for ease and comfort above Hannah's uh, last request, they placed her coffin on a shed. After all, she was gone and dead. So what would it matter? Yeah. But several yards down the road from her house, the coffin fell off the sled and slid halfway back to her house. Unnerved, the group of men placed it back onto the sled and used chains to secure it in place this time. Even a few of the men decided to keep extra secure by sitting on top of it. At last, the strategy seemed to work until they reached the crest of the final hill just before the bend to Gregory Four Corners. The coffin began to shake so fiercely that those who sat perched on top of it tumbled helplessly to the ground. (laughs) Haunted by Hannah's warnings of what would befall them should she, should her last wishes be ignored, the terrified group decided that they would carry her coffin by hand the rest of the way. So, by hand and foot, Hannah Cranahovey was delivered to her final resting place shortly after sunset. As they returned to their homes, the group of men were startled by a loud clap of thunder, and the cold winter night sky became illuminated with a hellish blaze. They soon realized Hannah's home was engulfed in flames. Still spooked by the unexplained event of her funeral procession, no one was brave enough to venture over and put out the fire. The fire is said to have smoldered for days afterwards. The legend of Hannah endures to this day. Locals speak of strange and unexplained occurrences near her home and in the graveyard where she is buried. Driving around the corner of Spring Hill Road towards Gregory Four Corners at any time after midnight will supposedly cause you to lose control of your car, careening up the embankment and crashing into Hannah's headstone. Hmm. An apparition of a cloaked, gray-haired woman has been seen only in the wooded area surrounding the burial ground. I'm sorry, not only in the area surrounding her burial ground, but near houses that were closed, built close to where Hannah's home once stood. The ghost often materializes with her hand extended outward as though she were begging. In at least one incident, she appears one night during a full moon at the widow of an old farmhouse and asks the young girl sleeping in the room if she could spare her any pies. Superstitions were rampant during Hannah's life, and they are still today. Many Monroe residents believe that if you visit the gravesite of Hannah, you must leave some token of her at her headstone or you will face ill fortune. Sometimes cemeteries house more than graves. Certain ones, like Gregory Four Corners, hold doorways to realms where logic can be twisted beyond human comprehension. Perhaps these doors, Hannah's restless spirit, sometimes enters the world of the living and beckons for tokens of respect. And that's my story. That's an awesome story. And I've got questions. Okay, let's talk through them. Why does it have to be Gregory Four Corners? And it is the longest name to say over (laughs) and over. Well, I only say Gregory when you're in trouble. So exactly, I say it. My name is Gregory. I understand that exactly. So, why was the headstone? Can we'll pull back up the picture real quick of the headstone? It is ultra. It is ultra. It's pristine. It's It's still in great shape, and you can see the The writing engraving on it, and it's like one of those. And that's why it says it's kind of weird. That it doesn't, so, from that era, a yeah. lot of those gravestones like that. Growing up in New Hampshire. Right, growing up in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Um, you can take it down. Um, Thanks, Pete. There are headstones there from, like, literally, you said it was 1859 to 1860. That's when she died around then. Right. Right. And, like, they are worn out. And that's just from weather. Yeah. Right. And it's just like. I'm wondering if maybe it's because hers is not so much in the dense woods, but closer to the road. 
And maybe the sign protects it from some of the... We did... We went to New Hampshire in October. Uh, October. We walked around this kind of creepy old, and there were some old. There were some gravestones that were from well beyond. Yeah. Well, like even when that. we were in Boston one like time, like 1700s, we did and stuff the gravestones, like and you can't, you cannot some of them, you read cannot them. See them? Right? Yeah. Like the 16, 1859, 60, whatever. Okay, but there's still one. So that's why I'm, I'm just like, it's that weird. one looks super Pristine. white. Yeah. Right? Like it's it's still more or something's taking care of it. Granite. She's what, coming whatever. in. Maybe she's right. coming in cleaning a grave up. Yep. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Next question. So, um, I mean, that was like the biggest thing. It was a great story. I do like the superstition about you have to take a body out feet first. Oh yeah, that, that, yeah. I when didn't you write when that you down. when you walk through the doorway because yeah. you come Versus in head, head first, first into the world, so you go feet first out of the world, which is kind of cool. I wonder if I, I think we need to get like a. Um, EMT. No, somebody. well, if you think about you it, you need to ask somebody that's a doctor or an EMT, nowadays, mortician that comes out of the house, right? No, but like the hospitals, when they wheel, when people pass away, they're on a stretcher. It's feet first usually because that's by the door. But do they even know about I, that superstition? Not. I don't know. It's just a I don't superstition. Know. What do but you guys think? I just think? thought it was a fun story. Great story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I love I heard witch her stories. somewhere, and, and I you thought know she's this is fun. Probably not a witch. Oh no, she was just a curmudgeon old lady that wanted people to give her stuff for free. Why not? I mean, I don't blame her. I'm like, I'm, I'm like that when I'm 80. I'd be like, bitch, yep. better have my money um, or my pie. She liked the roosters. Case. That's for sure. She did. So, so with that, thank you so yeah, much. Go out, check it. us out. Don't forget to go out to Minor League Studios and check out our little swag stuff. Our swag. We've got cups and shirts and iPhone Phone cases and, and all sorts of good caps. stuff. Yeah. But absolutely check out the shirts. They're my favorite. Yes. We've got some aliens. Up, we I updated some of them with a women's shirts. Nice. So you've got like a V neck and you've got a cool. scoop neck. Is that what they call? Right. Like yeah. the the one that comes down scoop a little bit yeah. and it's got the alien on it and it says the Castro files. Nice. So go out and like and subscribe. Do all that. Check all those things out and we'll catch you all. Bye guys. Next Love time. you. Cheers.